you are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Life Community Church, whether you're here in person or online, we're glad that you're here. Uh, We'll go back to saying this. We have said this for years. Uh, We got away from it because of the COVID, but just a reminder of who we are. We are a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ, and we do that by living out certain values. We have a value that says that we practice love with everyone always, that we give more than what makes sense. We chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives. And we anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's word. That's who we are. That's what we want to do. That's what we're striving to be. Uh, Just an announcement for you guys at home and in here, uh, specific about our children's ministry and its restarting. Um, So Brett and Jared are two newest employees here at Life. They're, They're just ramping things up. And we're doing what we can in, ministry, in, in children's ministry, and that's informed by how comfortable people are coming back and helping in that. So this is our plan. On September 13th, we are going to launch our children's ministry just for one service at 10.30 a.m., right? And so you'll need to register your kids online. We have to make rhythms that are healthy and sustainable. We don't want to burn people out, and so this is part of that process. So keep that in mind, September 13th. Uh, 10.30 a.m. only, and there will be a vehicle that will come to you uh, to register your kids if, you're, if that is you. All right, we are in a series called Set Apart. This week we're going to talk about our words and how our words set us apart. And we're not going to talk about our words in like James, chapter of the book of James, where it talks about you know, words, our tongue being like a rudder. We're not going to have practical examples of how we should talk, but we're going to talk about foundationally as Christians, uh, why we view words differently than the words of the world. And so in our 30 minutes here today, my hope is that when you leave here today, you have a better understanding that our words, the things that we say, aren't just tools to get us what we want, but they're instruments that reveal where my treasure and my abundance is. They are far more about revealing who I am than they are about acquiring what I want. And so let's do that by looking in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 6. This is Jesus in the midst of the, the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from the bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And what an outstanding phrase. Out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth speak. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we uh, come to you today and we just uh, put ourselves under your word. God, will you move in our lives today? Lord, will you help us to remove our distractions? Uh, God, will you get us away from our preferences 
And Lord, that we would just humble ourselves and hear you and your word today. And so, Lord, we just invite you to move in our lives as we talk about our words and understanding what their primary purpose is in our lives. And so we give this time to you, Jesus, and we pray this in your amazing name. Amen. My first car in my life was a Pontiac T-1000, 1984 Pontiac T-1000. It was a knockoff of the Chevy Chevette. It was a hatchback. I don't know if you've seen it. This is a picture of what my first car looked like. Uh, it was a mess. And my car looked different. This isn't my car. My car was more pink than red. And it had, this, it had on the back windows, it had babies with pitchforks and devil horns. I didn't put them there. I didn't put them there. My na- we bought it from my neighbor. I don't know why anybody would ride in a car with pictures of babies with pitchforks. It was like a cartoon. This, so, I, so I took them off, but what I didn't realize is the sun had baked them onto the window. So I removed them, but you could still see the etching. So I rode around in this hatchback that had baby devils on the side, and it was just... My friends could move it. Just four of them could pick it up and move it. There was no key needed, so you could just turn on the ignition, which let my friends just, they moved it wherever they wanted to. I couldn't find it half the time. Uh, it's just a crazy car. I literally could get out of the car if I was snuck in the stow, and I could push it. That's, it had two horsepower, and I was more powerful than my car was. But one of the things that I always wanted in my car was to listen to the music that I wanted, right? I wanted to listen to my CDs, but in 1984, Pontiac T-1000, you don't have that luxury because this is what you got. You have a push-button radio. I don't know if you guys remember these. Obviously, most of you in this room, I don't know if you have an image of the push-button radio. Maybe we don't. There it is. We have, this is the radio that I have in my car. And so I'm 16 years old, 1997, CD technology at its finest, and I want to listen to my music, but there, I have no CD player. I can't afford it. There's no auxiliary port. If you're over 55, I mean headphone jack, right? There's no place for me to plug it in. I have no means to listen to my music. And so I began to think, how do I get this done? What I do have is CD technology at its finest. I have this personal CD player with 10-second anti-skip, like in 1997, which meant that as long as I didn't do more than breathe on my CD player, I could listen to music. And I had a transistor radio. So this is what I, I wanted to hear my music. And so I ripped my radio out of the dashboard and I began to investigate and I found the wires to the speaker, but I needed to figure out how I could plug my CD into the radio, into the car. And so what I did, I took my transistor radio that had a port and I found the speakers in the back of the radio. I wired my little, this is MacGyver. Like I MacGyvered this thing. If somebody doesn't know what MacGyver is. I wired it to the transistor radio, plugged my CD player into the transistor radio, and plugged my CD player into the cigarette lighter, and it worked. It was magical. I could hurt my CDs, my music, as long as there wasn't too many bumps, I could listen to it. And so at, at 16, I knew that I had a good radio, I had some speakers. What I didn't like was what was coming out of those speakers. 
I wanted to hear my music. And just by looking on the outside, there's nothing I could do. I could, I could decorate, I could paint it, I could change it any way I wanted. There was no way for that to happen. The only means for me to hear my music was to deconstruct it and rewire it and reconstruct it. That's the only way I could hear what I wanted to hear. And do you know when I knew that deconstructed, reconstructed, improvised audio device worked? The moment that I heard it. The moment that my CD came blasting through those radios. That radio, that speaker. And so let me connect this with what Jesus is saying here in the Gospel of Luke. In the midst of his most famous sermon, Jesus is speaking about what is seen, the external part of a tree called the fruit. And Jesus is being allegorical here. Meaning he's not talking about trees and fruits, he's talking about us. He's talking about us. And this, and what Jesus is saying is that what comes out of a person, what really matters, has nothing to do with what you see, but everything to do with what's internal. Fruit, as we talk about it, is what is produced out of one's life. And as a Christian, there should be a production of the fruit of the Spirit living in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit, that our lives should echo more and more who Jesus Christ is to the world, that the world should note the love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That is God's. And that sort of fruit, that flavor should be produced. We talked about this not too long ago in our series, The Fruit of the Spirit. And so, as a believer in Jesus, our aim is to be more like Jesus. Not trying to figure out what we should do or what we should obey, but from the inside. From the inside, we let the Spirit do the work of changing, of deconstructing, of rewiring and reconstructing our desires and our intentions as we abide and rest and remain in the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us. The scripture says, like my car radio, that the evidence of that reconstruction and rewiring in our hearts comes from what others hear. The evidence of a changed heart is noticed by what comes out of our mouth. And Jesus is actually being quite radical in what he's saying here to the Pharisees because what he is suggesting that differentiates good and bad is quite countercultural at the time. It's backwards to the people. They're more focused on titles and positions about how they look, even the clothes that they wear and the attachments they put to those clothes. They are more concerned with how one can make themselves look good on the outside. But Jesus is saying that what actually births goodness and badness comes from the inside, from what you treasure, from your abundance. And he is saying that it doesn't matter how much you fix it up on the outside, that what is in you, what consumes you, what you esteem, what you treasure, will ultimately birth the fruit of your life. It will be what others come to hear and know and see you by. And Jesus would go on to speak about our hearts and what is internal and how it flows, what, is, what comes out of our mouth flows from what's in our heart in Matthew 15. He, 
words of Jesus here. He, he says, it is not what goes in the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard you saying this? Of course they did. They were concerned about looking good. He answered, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both of you will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and, defile, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defiles a person. But to eat without un, with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And so there's zero chance that my old jalopy of a car's antiquated sound system was going to play my CD. It needed to be rewired. It needed to be reconstructed. And how did I know that it was changed? Because I heard it with my ears. And so, Christian, Jesus is saying that there is a problem that is not unique to any one of us in this room, but there is a problem that is common to all of us that the fundamental flaw of humanity doesn't exist around us not having enough or doing the right things. Our fundamental problem is an inter-heart, an inter-moral, intellectual, emotional center that seeks its own ends, that pursues its own pleasure, and is at war with God and the world and its own self. And Jesus is saying is that we can deal with all we want and how we look and how we appear and looking righteous. But the only thing that could fix us is to be reconstructed by being deconstructed and rewiring. We need a new heart. We need a new moral, intellectual, emotional center. We need a new one because the old one that we were born with is killing us. Jesus writes that from the heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and theft, and the list goes on. Jeremiah writes that the heart is desperately sick. It's deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? The scriptures say that man looks at the external, but God looks at the heart. He looks at our core motivations, our, what informs us. Our desires matter more to God than how you look. And Jesus is saying that you can rationalize your actions, you can hold firm to a core belief about what you say and who you are, and you can even, you can even doubt the validity of such a claim that says that you need a heart, a new heart, but you cannot argue with your words. You cannot argue with your works, because if you want an accurate snapshot of your character and the condition of your heart, don't look at your behavior because you will rationalize the goodness in yourself. And you will overlook our badness and blame it on somebody else's. They, they caused me to do that. But if you really want to know who you are, listen to what you say. Listen to what you say. Because it will point to your treasure. It will point to your abundance what you really rest upon in this life. Listen to what you say. 
when your emotions are running high? Listen to what you say when people disagree with you. Listen to what you say when you don't get your way. Listen to what you say when your team didn't win. Listen to what you say when you win. Listen to what you say when your kid's team didn't win. Listen to what you say when you're in stress. Listen to what you say when the person you voted for didn't get elected. Listen to what you are saying because they are revealing what you truly believe and want. If we profess belief in Jesus Christ by our attendance to such things like this, if we are professing what we believe in Jesus and our words don't account for that, that my belief in Jesus doesn't show up in my words, then we've revealed a problem. And so what becomes so vital and so important for believers is to view our words through a completely different lens than what the world teaches us. For kingdom people, our words are far less the tools to get us what we want and far more an instrument that reveals my abundance and my treasure in my heart. And this is what sets us apart as God's people. You know, there's a book that was written uh, called How to Make Friends and Influence People. It was written by a guy named Dale Carnegie in 1936. You've probably heard of it at some point in your life. It was a book that sold 30 million copies worldwide. It's one of the most famous books in all history. I own the book. I haven't read it yet, mostly because... I have this concern that if I'm in a coffee shop reading this book and people are walking by me and they see a book that's entitled How to Make Friends, that they're going to bring some interesting conclusions to their mind like, oh, look at this guy. He's trying to make friends. Isn't that nice? I bet his friends moved his car a lot when he was younger, right? And so I just haven't, I haven't read it. I'm sure that it's a good book. I just don't like the premise that it's elevating, Because the message that it's promoting is that there is a strategy. There is a strategy that you can learn and impose on others to get what you want the way that you want it. But I know that that is the predominant thinking of our culture and it's the predominant thinking of our rebellious heart. It's a posture that starts with considering what we want and then working backwards from there. We, what do I want, and let's work backwards from there. And so for some of us, we want a promotion, we want a good retirement, we want a position, we want a platform, we want a place. Maybe that place is just to get back in my bed at the end of the day. We want a thing, and so we set our eyes on that, and we try to figure out, how am I going to get that? And our words are a tool, a means that gets us what we want. And so we say this, Who do I need to talk to? What do I need to say? Well, how should I say it? What do they want to hear? We use our words as part of our strategy. And we teach our kids and our students and our grandkids how we ought to use our words. We say things like, hey, you can't say that to me. Don't talk to me like that. Don't, Don't talk to me like that. Did you say please? Did you, did you say thank you? Did you say, did you say yes, ma'am? Did you say yes, ma'am? No, sir, you say yes, ma'am. Don't talk to your sister like that. We, 
we try to teach our kids how they should speak. And is that right and good? Yes. But are we doing it with the right heart? Because often it can be the case that we want our kids to be seen as polite and decent people, not for themselves, but as a reflection of us. And we know that their words will affect whether or not they attain that or whether or not they show how good of a parent I am. And so the predominant message of the world is that your words serve you well in getting what you want. Serves you well in looking good. But the message of the gospel is in stark contrast to that. Where our words don't serve us in acquisition or procurement, but they reveal the nature of our hearts, whether they are good or bad. And so, brother and sister, listen, there's no clever strategy in the realm of Christianity. There is no clever strategy to get us what we desire. But we have a perfect Savior who saved us from what we deserve. We have no clever strategy. He saved us from what we deserve, destruction. And our greatest aspiration in life is to look more and more like Jesus. And if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to look more and more like Jesus, it means that I have to look less and less like myself. That I have to hear myself less. That I need to look a lot less like me. Jesus says that whoever wants to gain their life must lose it. The primary target of the Christian is not some future goal. It's an inward motivation, transformation that comes from the Savior. It is a wonderful grace from the Lord that our words are so connected to our hearts. It is a wonderful grace from the Lord that our words reveal our hearts and where our abundance is. Is it in what Jesus has done for me or what we hope that he will do for us or what I want And so can we just be honest enough to admit that we say some ugly things? We say things that are in utter conflict to the words and the actions of Jesus, the one whom we say and believe that we we trust in. We say things that are contradicting the words of Jesus. And so let's admit that, but let us also esteem the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What makes us a Christian isn't that we're perfect, that we know that we're not. We're not. And we have come face to face with the reality where I understand that I can't fix the brokenness inside of myself. But we marvel and delight in the love of God whom saved me by his grace. For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift from God. And it means that Jesus Christ is sufficient in every part of my life. And what that means for me is that I can be something utterly different than I am right now. I can be different because I've grown to believe that I don't need to be anything else but His. I can be different because I believe Jesus Christ has forgiveness for my future, past, and present sins. I believe in Jesus, which means that my future is secure and his sovereign control and goodness. I believe in Jesus, which means that he has brought me peace with God. I believe in Jesus, which means I'm loved by the Son, the creator of the heavens and earth, and I don't need anything else 
And this is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ took my sin, that through an act of love coming on the cross, he took my place, he took my punishment, and when he died, I died. And when he was raised in the resurrection, I was raised into new life with him to be what I always was intended to be, a human being made in the image of God, that works along with God to cultivate and create and care for the world, being satisfied in nothing else but Him. That is who I am in Christ, and there's nothing else that I need. And sometimes we hear the gospel message and we think, that's a great message. I'm glad that I know that. That's a great beginning spot. That's foundational. Now what do we do? But the Apostle Paul, the greatest Christian that ever has lived, he knows that there is nothing else Paul says, for the message of the cross is folly to the perishing world. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And what that message of Christ and his gospel means and what he did for us, it means it's just not a one and done thing. It's what we remain in. It's what we rest in. It's what we are continually being saved by. Not, not that we have to worry about our salvation every day, but that we rest in the gospel truth that Jesus has done for us, what he's done for us. And so let me explain how that works, how that intersects with my words. My daughter, my kids, are the best at exposing my hearts and my heart. I have one. I don't have multiple hearts. My kids are just great at it. Being a perfect parent is not a possibility, right? It's not a possibility. Grace isn't just a gift from God that saves us. It's the only tool that we have to redeem the unwilling, stubborn, selfish parts of ourselves. There was a day that my youngest daughter, Ellie, was in quite a mood. She was rude to us, and she was throwing tantrums. Uh, during one of those outbursts towards me, I said something that created alarms in my soul. I looked at this beautiful three-year-old girl who was being rude and reluctant, and I said, Ellie, is this who you want to be? Ellie, is this who you want to be? Do you want to be rude like this? Ellie, if you continue to be rude like this, no one will want to be your friend. No one will want to be your friend. And my heart hurt. Do we speak truth and love to our kids sometimes? Yes. But she's three. And she's tired. And what was more true of that moment was that I was upset because I wasn't concerned about her future relationships with other people. I was upset because I took it personal. She hurt my feelings. And I went to hurt my three-year-old's feelings because she hurt mine. I'm 38. She's three. She doesn't deserve the weight of those words, nor are they necessary and so this is where the gospel intersects our lives. When we listen to what we're saying and trace it back to the selfishness and the rebellions of our heart, 
that we revel in the gospel that says that Jesus is enough, that he is all that I need. It means that I can reject my pride. I can reject my selfishness. I don't need to defend myself. I don't care how weak that I look. I just want to look more like Jesus who loved me and he died for me. And so I can turn to my daughter and I can say, Ellie, you don't deserve those words. Daddy was wrong in saying them. Daddy was hurt and I use my words to hurt you. Ellie, will you forgive me? And I get to look at my three-year-old and I get to say, Ellie, look, Daddy needs Jesus. Daddy needs Jesus because my heart wants what it wants and I desperately want to want what Jesus wants because it's better. And I get to look at my daughter when she's rude and I get to trace it back to that and I say, Ellie, why are you being rude? You want what you want, don't you? I do too. The gospel intersects our life and allows us to be more concerned about the love and the power and the status of Christ than what people will think of me. In our dying to self and letting our words reveal our hearts, words that show us where I don't trust God, where I don't believe that he is enough, words that reveal what we really believe, that we want what we want, not Jesus. We are sustained by the power of the gospel that reminds us that he is enough, that what he has done is enough. And so when I hear myself defending myself as if I need to defend myself, I can say to myself, no, Jesus is enough here. When I hear myself lash out in anger, I can say, no, Jesus is enough here. I can let go of my pride. I can apologize. I can make this right. When I hurt somebody and say things that I shouldn't, I can, because Jesus is enough, go back and make it right as best I can. I can risk humiliation in this world because I'm sustained by the humiliation that God endured on the cross for me. And so are we listening to what we are saying? Because it shows our abundance. It shows our treasure. But brother and sister, understand that there is no condemnation in those who are Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. You have all the grace that you need to become what we were always meant to be through Jesus Christ. As we trust in his sufficiency and let our hearts see the grace and how our words reveal our abundance and our treasure for our own joy and for God's glory. Scripture says in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is wisdom as the world should be. Like Proverbs elevates this ideal world as how it should perfectly work together. And Solomon writes in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, he says that the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Those who are righteous, which means those who are in Christ, because there is no righteousness outside of Christ, we are a people whose mouths are to be fountains of life, meaning that our hearts and our words bring life to other people. We bring life to each other and the world by how we speak to one another. But for that to happen, we must allow the Creator God to look at the antiquated radios of our hearts 
deconstruct them, rewire them, and reconstruct them solely based upon what he did. That he is enough. Christians, your words matter much more than what the world conveys to us. They are not about acquisition or procurement. They are about revealing the true nature of our hearts. And we have to listen to what we're saying. We have to listen to what we're saying and believe that we have all the grace that we need in Christ Jesus to be utterly different than we are right now. And so we have to ask ourselves the question as we leave here today, would people know the Jesus I love through my words? Would people know the Jesus I love by my words? Would they hear the flavor of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? Would my words reveal my treasure? And if they don't, listen, there's no condemnation. We can always turn. There's always a new days. There's always mercies anew that we can turn from ourselves and live for God and trust that he is enough. Would you pray? Jesus, we far too often are careless with our words. We don't think of our words much more in depth than maybe helping me get what I want or speaking my mind. But Lord, you say in your word that my words actually reveal the status of my heart. And they speak to where my treasure and abundance is. And so, Lord, will you give me all the grace that I need by your Son, through your Son, to actually hear what I'm saying, to hear what we're saying, that we would boast not in ourselves, that we would even risk humiliation to look weak and forgiveness because we are sustained by you and you alone. God, what a gift that you've connected our words to our hearts that we can really see who we are. Will you help us use it for our joy and your glory today? We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.